0: you're listening to the QuickBook reviews podcast brighten your day with a book hello my fellow bookworms this is Philippa from QuickBook reviews how are you all? I am well although I have been a bit radical in the haircut department I uh, don't know why I decided my hair needed a cut and I decided I wasn't prepared to wait to get into a hairdresser's which it seems you need weeks or months. And I also decided I wasn't prepared to wait to get anyone else to do it. And I also decided I wasn't prepared to wait to find some proper scissors. So I decided to give myself a haircut, quite significant haircut, with a pair of nail scissors. Yes, that's what I did. I have to say, actually, if if maybe this is the secret of good hairdressing, always use a pair of nail servers. Curved nail scissors as well. Those ones that have a curl at the end. Yes, I took several inches off because my hair was looking very unhealthy and I feel it's got that bounce effect now, thanks to nail scissors. But really, it's uh, it's only luck that it turned out all right. That it could have gone really, really wrong. But anyway, nobody in the family seemed to notice that I'd even cut it. So hey ho. So that was my fun. Anyway, enough about me. What about you? What books have you been reading? What have you been up to? Um, gosh, the lovely uh, Quick Book Reviews Podcasts Facebook group. Do join us if you want. Very welcome. Have been doing a lot of reading. Got all sorts going on now. Um, Claire has been reading Take It Back by Kia Abdullah. She's trying to read it very quickly because she wants to get on to Kia's next book. I've got Take It Back to read. It's supposed to be a great legal thriller. I need to get on to that. Um, Pat has just finished Close to Home by Cara Hunter. Brilliant. Uh, and she's still reading The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel. So well done, Pat. You're keeping going. Helen's Halfway Through a Darker Shade of Magic um, by V. E. Schwab and loving it, which is great. I think I've got that in Graphic Novel Form and um, heard lots of good things about that. Now, Victoria has just finished The Intoxicating Mr. Lavelle by Neil Blackmore, and it wasn't for her. I haven't heard anything about that book, so um, uh, and it's not making me want to with that sort of review, but we'll see, Victoria. Thank you for that one. Um, Shelley is halfway through My Name is Anna uh, by Lizzie Barber. Again, I haven't heard of that one. There are books that I haven't heard of. Clearly, I need to go to a bookshop immediately and rectify the matter. Zoe. Now, I'm not talking to Zoe because Zoe has a proof copy of The Minders by John Mars. And I really would like that very much. So, Zoe, I'm sorry. I am not talking to you until you finish that book because it's just unfair. And I'm frankly quite jealous. But there we go. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a good one. And Sally uh, is not reading fiction at, at the moment. She's on nonfiction because she's just started her degree course. So fair enough. Um, so lots going on there. But speaking of lots of things, I have lots of books to talk to you about today. How many do I have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven books to talk to you about this week. Whoops. And I have the most fascinating interview uh, for you. It really is. So coming up, we've got Phoebe Morgan, who's the editorial director at HarperCollins, no less. Yes. So what she doesn't know about publishing, there's no need to know about. And it was actually Phoebe that uh, came up with this fascinating point some months ago when we were talking about book covers, um, that particularly in supermarkets, people take, you know, just the tiniest smidgen of time Like less than two seconds, I think it was, to look at a book cover, and so it just shows how important it is. So Phoebe's come on to talk about all things publishing, from just uh, you know the basics, what a publisher actually does. Let me tell you, it's a lot more than you might think. To how important the hook of the book is, and whether pre-ordering is important, because you or I might think, well, pre-ordering, I I won't do that. I'll just wait till the book is published, and then I'll think about pre-ordering. But actually. It can have a really major impact upon the take-up of a book, the popularity, how much it's seen out there. So all these sort of things, and of course Phoebe has written a book as well that I've loved, *The Babysitter*. Um, so it's be, it will be great to hear from her and talk to her about all these different elements. So you're really going to want to sit back and listen to this because there's lots to cover. So. We get onto the books. Let me move those pieces of paper away, and more pieces of paper too. Like my pa- my pieces of paper. No, now we have a serious note before we go anywhere. Now I haven't asked before, but. Can we just have a quick chat about things like um, Apple ratings or whatever podcast app you listen to the ratings on there? As I say, I wouldn't normally ask, but it is getting so important. Um, the more listeners I'm getting, which is incredible, that we, the, the reviews reflect that. So if you don't mind going on and putting a little review, hopefully it's a nice one. Um, you know, the more five stars we can get, the more we move up uh, the charts. And it is, it is like that, Pay to play. It's all it's all in the numbers. Um, But we are getting so many more listeners. It's uh, it's incredible. So if you wouldn't mind just going on and doing that, I would be very, very grateful. Um, And if you want to tell me when you've done it and I will send you my sincere thanks and a photo of me with thumbs up saying thank you. That's just what you (laughs) that's just what you need. In fact, that's a reason for you not to go on. So here's a promise. If you go and do a review and message me to say you've done it, I promise I won't send you a photo. So there you go. That's probably the the thing that's going to make you do it more than anything. Anyway, on to the books. So let me just sort of summarise the range of books and crikey, there is a range. So we have His and Hers by Alice Feeney, The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware, Final Cut by S.J. Watson. uh, That's just come out in hardback. uh, Plan for the Worst by Jodie Taylor. Silver Sparrow by Tiare Jones. That's just come out in hardback. Fearless by Alan Stroud and <laughs> get this, this is so different, an audiobook, Pamair's Down the Line. Now, if you're not from the UK um, and of a certain age, you won't know who Pam Ayres is. And uh, if you just go and listen to her now, you will think I have completely lost the plot. But bear with me. Oh, let's get round to Pam Ayres at the end. So we're going to start off with His and Hers by Alice Feeney. Um, and I really want to tell you all about, it, about this book. I really want to tell you all about it, but I can't find the blurb. Hang on. Here we go. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, and I should start by saying this is a good book. So anyway, here we go. Jack, three words to describe my wife. Beautiful, ambitious, unforgiving. Anna, I only need one word to describe my husband. Liar. When a woman is murdered in Blackdown Village, newsreader Anna Andrews is reluctant to cover the case. Anna's ex-husband DCI Jack Harper is suspicious of her involvement until he becomes a suspect in his own murder investigation. Someone is lying and some secrets are worth killing to keep. I just thought this was an extraordinary book. It had the great characters. It had the different viewpoints that worked. You believed it. You could visualise it. Um, it had all the twists and turns. It had the end. Oh, just great. Um, I haven't read any of Alice Feeney's other books. And now she's on my list. This is someone I'm going to be following because this woman can write. I just thought it was really good. It's sort of, well, is it a suspense thriller, domestic noir crime? I would it's it's a good book. That's what it is. Um, and I heard some of it on audiobook as well. And that was really good. Really good voices in that. I just thought it was great. Uh, really worth reading. So that's a thumbs up from me. His and hers, Alice Feeney. See, it doesn't take me long to say that book is good. Um, but uh, there you go. That book is good. So anyway, the next book we've got is by Ruth Ware, and that's called The Turn of the Key. Now, I've had this on my shelves for a while. I don't know why I haven't read it, but I'm so glad I did. Let's read the blurb of this. When Rowan comes across the advert, it seems too good to be true. A live-in nanny position with an extremely generous salary. What she doesn't know is that she's stepping into a nightmare, one that will end with a child dead and her in a cell awaiting trial for murder. She knows she's made mistakes, but she's not guilty at least not of murder, which means someone else is. Um, I I love this book. It was creepy, but it was a copable creepiness level if you know what I mean um and it was felt you know when the violin's playing in the background but it's playing so fast because everything is so on edge you're just waiting you know it ends badly but you just can't imagine how it's going to end up in that way and who did what and who said what and what all the pieces are um and when you Going through, you think, "Oh no, this is what's happened," and then, "Oh no, but I think it's this." Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was absolutely incredible, and it just shows that Ruth Ware is sort of, you know, one of the top of top of the game. Really, really good. So, what what is the book? It's again a sort of suspense thriller, I would say. Um, And uh, how many pages is it? Because I did seem to fly through that one. 330. I think I was just completely consumed by the story and wanting to read more and more and more. Um, It was hard to put down. I was just um, immersed in the story. And uh, yes, really good. So that's The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. Another good one. Now we come on to Final Cut by S.J. Watson. Now, of course, S.J. Watson wrote the incredibly well-known Before I Go to Sleep that was made into um, a movie, uh, sold millions. um, And I think that puts incredible pressure on an author. So I don't know how he manages to write again, but he certainly does. Let's read the, the blurb of this one. Blackwood Bay, an ordinary place, home to ordinary people. It used to be a buzzing seaside destination, but now, ravaged by the effects of dwindling tourism and economic downturn, it's a ghost town and the perfect place for filmmaker Alex to shoot her new documentary. But the community is deeply suspicious of her intentions. After all, nothing exciting ever happens in Blackwood Bay. Or does it? Blackwood Bay, an ordinary place home to an extraordinary secret. So there you go. If you um, enjoyed Before I Go to Sleep, if you want something a bit different, um, it's out now in hardback. I know a lot of people have been waiting for it. It's uh, gosh, it's over 400 pages long as well. That's quite a book. Um, A very interesting cover with the sort of hand approaching some water. So uh, that that makes you that makes you think, oh, and the sort of tagline, they tried to hide the truth, but the camera never lies. So as I say, that's out in hardback now. Final Cut, S.J. Watson. Um, And from that one, we move on to, well, this is just a a crazy series of books, but gosh, I love them. This book is called Plan for the Worst by Jodie Taylor. um, And it's one of the chronicles of St. Mary's. So if you've heard me blithering on um during this podcast you will have heard me mention Jodie Taylor quite a few th- quite a few times um the Chronicle of St Mary's series starts with one uh one called uh, Just One Damn Thing After Another and there's about 10 of them they are madcap um they are zany I mean gosh th- it's such a big thing that on Facebook, there's like a virtual St. Mary's and you sign up and decide what department you're going to work for. And it, it it's just wonderful. Um, I like these books because they're so different. They're Effectively, it's about this place, St. Mary's, which um, does historical research. But as I'm saying historical research, I'm doing my fingers, little um, sort of highlighting the, the words there. Because it's not, it's basically time travel, but they don't call it time travel. So you have to be somebody who allows yourself to have a a wide, vivid imagination. Otherwise, you're not going to enjoy these books. And frankly, the books probably weren't written for you in that that case. Um, But it's great attention to detail. The information about history as well, I find very compelling. The characters are great. Strong, punchy, gutsy characters where cups of tea are everything. And a phrase that they often use that that I find myself using as well is, um, it's been an honour and a privilege. I love that one. Anyway, the blurb. I would have trusted this man with my life until a couple of days ago anyway. You know what they say. Hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Max is quite accustomed to everything going wrong. She's St. Mary's after all. Disaster is her default state. But with her family reunited and a jump to Bronze Age Crete in the works, life is getting back to normal. Well, Normal for St Mary's. And then following one fateful night at the Tower of London, everything Max thought she knew comes crashing down around her. Too late for plans. The worst has happened. And who can Max trust now? As I say, I love this. Oh, yes, this is number 11. Okay, so if you're looking to start the books, I would really commend that you start at the very beginning with just one damn thing after another. I would say you have to give the books time because it takes a few for the real sort of fun of writing to come through. So don't expect that first book to deliver everything. But I do think you need to start with that first one to really get to know the characters and particularly Max and all that's involved. They're just they're just great books. Um, uh, very, very good indeed. So there we go. That's Plan for the Worst by Jodie Jody Taylor. Now, the next one, this is a different one. Silver Sparrow by Tiari Jones. Um, now, why did I pick up this one? Because I'm a member of the Patreon group for Lauren and the Books. I don't know if you've come across Lauren. She's uh, a booktuber. Uh, And that means someone who is on YouTube talking about books, funnily enough. Uh, I think she's really good. She's really positive um, and very body positive and inspirational. She's just very happy, jolly, positive person. Um, and she makes really good book choices, and I admire her. So, every month, her Patreon book club, Choose One Book, we get to vote between two, and then we meet um, sort of online with like a live YouTube and can talk about the book. Um, and I just think it's, uh, it's really good, and I'm keen to support Lauren in what she does. So, we have just reviewed Silver Sparrow. Tiari Jones uh, is well known for um, writing An American Marriage. And this is quite a different book, but one, my goodness, I love this book. Let's just say there's a scene in this book um, and I'll just say two words to describe it. So if you've read the book, you know what I mean. The garage. am not going to say anything else. I hadn't even realised my bath had run cold, had got cold um, because I was just sitting in the bath reading this book. And I couldn't, all my attention was on the book and what was happening. I will not forget it. I will not forget those characters. I will not forget that story. I I thought it was an awesome, awesome, awesome book. Um, So let me let me tell you what the the blurb is. Um, My father, James Witherspoon, is a bigamist. This is a story of a man's deception, a family's complicity and the two teenage girls caught in the middle. James Witherspoon has two families, one public, the other a closely guarded secret. But when his daughters meet and form a friendship, only one of them knows the truth. Theirs is a relationship destined to explode. Um, I, I just pick up, please get this book and read it. It's absolutely glorious. It's not crime. It's not thriller. It's not suspense. It's just, it's not uplift. Uplift. It's. It's just about circumstances and it's about... Uh, Race And it's about identity and families. And it's it's just I was hooked. Um, I I don't know that I would have picked it up if this hadn't been um, on the list for the book club. And I'm so glad I did. I haven't read An American Marriage yet. I've got two copies of that book. So why haven't I read it yet? But anyway, really, really good. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly recommend it. Um, So that's another one. Now, the next book. Alan Stroud's Fearless. Uh, this is a sci-fi book. It's published by Flametree Press. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it, it was very good. If sci-fi is your thing, or if you've got maybe a relative who's into sci-fi um, and they've gone through all the usual sort of suspects, then this really could be one to consider. So, Fearless by Alan Stroud. Let's read the blurb. AD 2118. Humanity has colonised the Moon, Mars and Europa. Captain Elisa Shan commands the Shudra. I've not pronounced that right, but anyway, a small escort and rescue ship with a crew of 25. When she picks up a distress call from the Hercules, a supply ship, three days out of Phobos Station, she decides to investigate. What she finds will push her, her crew and her ship to the brink of destruction. The Hercules is drifting dead in space, but there is another ship nearby, one that is decidedly not dead. In fact, it seems all too ready and eager to destroy their ship under attack by an unknown enemy and fearing treachery from her own crew. Shan will need all the skill and courage she has if she wants the ship to survive. I I really enjoyed it. I have never heard of Alan Stroud before, but he is clearly uh, very well known in the science fiction Community. Um, he's good at writing yeah, science fiction, fantasy, horror. He's written books for computer games, um, and uh, what, what else was I reading? He, oh yes, he's a founding host of um, a particular of a podcast. He runs an annual convention. He's been chair of FantasyCon, of the British Fantasy Society, chair of the British Science Fiction Association. He became chair in twenty nineteen. So. This is this is no newcomer to science fiction and it tells because he, he can just write it, as I have said on previous. Um, episodes sometimes I find it hard because I can't visualize it so I tend to enjoy more science fiction films than I do books but when I find a book that I like I really like it and that was the case with this one Um, I thought it was different imaginative but all quite contained the action so again I could visualize it you've got the characters in there you've got this um different concepts of what the future looks like and what humanity will or won't do Uh, yeah thought it was was a really good book and um from a smaller publisher as well it's good to see so yes fearless alan stroud if science fiction is your thing i i'd suggest it's worth having a look at that one definitely um and from science fiction to well i don't even know how to describe this so I went on NetGalley, which is where you can get to review copies of books before they're normally available. And they've just started doing audiobooks. So I was looking at the different audiobooks. That's where I got the his and hers from. And then they had this one, Pamers, And I thought, oh, if I'm having a bit of a bad day, I think Pamers would be nice to listen to because it's her reading it. Uh, Pamers is someone who um, is quite a tra- traditional British person. She's been around for decades, writes her own poetry. There's a touch of Victoria Wood, I think, in in her wording, how she writes. Uh, and I just really enjoyed listening to it. I enjoyed listening to it to most of it. I'd say two thirds, three quarters. The final bit, I maybe I just sort of lost um, enthusiasm because it wasn't as unique. But the, the first, the majority of it, I've really enjoyed. I was laughing out loud. Some of the stories, there's a story she tells about a wetsuit, which I still remember and I recount to other people. Um, I think the way she she plays words in her poems is very clever. And she's got this very particular voice um, that if you just want a bit of a laugh, then I think she could provide that for you. Is it something that I would buy another one or get another one? next week no it's not i th- i think i've had a good dose of memes for now um but i think if something actually makes you laugh out loud while you're listening to it then that's got to be good i think we need all the laughs we can get right now so yeah but got the thumbs up from from me anyway so We've covered quite a few books. But before I recount those, we really need to talk to Phoebe and hear from her about all that she uh, does at HarperCollins, the incredible amount of work that HarperCollins have to do as as part of being a publisher um, and all that's involved in the process. So without further ado, let's go to Phoebe. Phoebe, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate
1: it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Well let's start with the basics. It's probably a
0: a stupid question but what exactly does a publisher do?
1: So it's not a stupid question. Our job is to publish books. We buy books from authors, we often acquire them from literary agents and we then work very hard to get them out to market. So that involves um, buying the actual manuscript, editing the manuscript, briefing the book jacket, working with the sales and marketing teams um, and obviously working with the production team to actually print and bind the books so that the manuscript becomes a novel um, and then yeah working as hard as we can to get it into retail so get it into the bookshops and get it up online um, and sell we usually we sell books in multiple formats now um, mm. so an ebook, um, audio, paperback, hardback whichever format you want. Um, so yeah that's our primary job is to find great stories and bring them to readers that is the main aim of the publisher
0: which you do and which you crikey which you're, you're known for doing but that's that's a lot to do how long does it actually take from the start of the process to it it arriving in bookshops or on ebook readers
1: so it really varies um and you've touched on something in terms of the ebook so formatting can make a difference for example if you are working for a digital first publisher and your aim is to prioritize the ebook the process might be a lot quicker because obviously you haven't got the time that you need for printing the actual physical Format, so you save a bit of time there. And so the ebook process can only take a couple of months from acquisition to having it up oh. on Amazon. Um, however, if you are traditionally publishing and you're having a paperback or a hardback, it can take a lot longer than that. Um, and it often depends on the publisher and what their schedule looks like. Um, Sometimes books will have over a year in terms of lead time, what we call lead time, which allows more space for marketing and publicity to really work on a very long campaign. Um, Other times it might only be about six months. Um, So it really varies. I think the maximum is probably 18 months to two years, but that that is not the norm exactly um so i let me think about my schedule so i might buy a book this week that i might publish this time next year for example or if the genre really lends itself to summer publishing i might try and speed things up and publish it next july but there's so many factors so it might be that the author can't work that quickly or it might be that we can't work that quickly so we have to take into account our needs and the author's needs um, and the variety of factors but that's a kind of rough time scale i suppose so that's, yeah
0: yeah that's very interesting and um you talking about the different formats as well if i if i can ask because i've noticed certainly this year it's qu- it's quite a change maybe i haven't noticed it previously but instead of it being paperback audiobook ebook on one day possibly ebook and audiobook are coming out and then paperback follows maybe six months later is that mm. is that particularly this year or have I just uh, not known? I don't
1: think it's particularly this year it does happen um quite often it's something if I'm honest I don't do that often um but it really depends on the imprint so sometimes we will split the dates and there might be a strategic reason for that so for example I've got a book Called the Chalet, um, which is a thriller, publishing in November, mid-November, and we're going to bring the ebook forward by two weeks so that it publishes on Halloween, and that's so that wow. we can hopefully put the ebook into a promotion in November. So Amazon run things called Kindle Monthly Deals, um, and they last for a month, and they mean that the book will drop in price, but they have to go from the first of that month. So we brought the ebook yes. forward so that we can pitch it for that. So that's just one example as to why we might split it, um, but other times. Uh, Publisher might do the ebook early to try and generate a whole raft of reviews before yes. the paperback comes out. Um, so that's when you might see that kind of six month split because we'll be trying to use that six months to build bars and build reviews. Um yeah. but yeah, it's usually kind of a case-by-case case, um strategy, depending on what the author's views are and what our views are and what we think the best thing will be for that. Individual book. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely something that's happened for a while. It might be happening more this year um, because of the pandemic, actually, yeah. thinking about it, because I'm sure you've read all these articles about how many books are coming out this <laughs> yes, autumn. Yes, um, And a lot of publishers did move books out of the summer and push them into the latter half of the year. So, it might be that they thought, let's do the ebook now while we can, while we've got it, and then just wait until the shops are back open, wait until things Are feeling a bit more positive in terms of footfall, and then bring the paper back out later on. Yeah, um, so that might be why you've noticed yes. it more actually. Probably,
0: yeah. yes, yeah. gosh, it's very interesting. So, in terms of the number of submissions you receive and then mm. the number of books you actually publish, I'm presuming there's quite a difference between those two numbers.
1: There is a difference, um, so we get a lot of submissions i think that's fair mm. to say um we are always looking for brilliant books and brilliant stories um not all the submissions we get are perfect so we might see something which is actually an amazing idea um but the you know the manuscript needs a bit of work and that doesn't mean we won't buy it You know, we might buy it for the idea alone almost and then work with the author on the mm. manuscript yeah. um and you know equally we might get a lot of really good books in through the submissions inbox but They might be too close to something we've already got, or they might just be not quite what we're looking for at this particular point in time. Um, So so we do get a lot, and there are kind of different reasons for having to reject them. Um, In terms of how many we get, so my particular role is a bit odd because I work across two different divisions of HarperCollins. So I work for Harper Fiction um, on the crime side, and I work for Avon. Um, with Avon we take agented submissions but we also have an open submissions inbox which means we get unsolicited manuscripts through that for Harper Fiction we don't have that so I only read agented subs for that side of things but each imprint is quite different in their approach Um, we get a lot of stuff through the Avon open subs inbox so you know you're talking probably Somewhere around 50 to 100 a week, um, and we then will sort through those and pull out the ones we think have the most potential. And then, in terms Mm. of agented manuscripts, I might be getting a couple of those a week depending on the time of year. Sometimes it will be more than that. Um, So, I think yesterday I maybe had two or three come in, but then today I haven't had any, so it really will depend. Um, And then, out of those, I mean, I have a list of probably about 20 authors at the minute across the both divisions. So it is a small percentage out of how many we actually receive. Um, but that I don't want that to sound off-putting. You know, that doesn't yes. mean that if someone has a brilliant story, yes. they shouldn't send it in and they will still have a chance of it getting published. It's just that obviously we only have a set amount of slots per year and we can yeah. only take on the books that we know that we can do our best efforts to sell. Um, yes and there's got to be space on the list um for the different books yeah so can we just talk
0: about the imprints because in a way i find it slightly confusing particularly when we're trying to support different publishers you've you've got the main harper collins but then there are different imprints is obviously there's a reason for it but Mm -hmm. can you give me a bit of a background
1: so uh the different imprints basically publish different types of books um, and it is slightly confusing I think when I first started in publishing I didn't really know what an imprint was and I kept asking yes. people and no one probably defined it um, but it's essentially yeah it, it, it means we're publishing different types of, of books um, so in HarperCollins we have the non-fiction team which obviously publish non-fic but then within that you might have an imprint that specializes in um, craft or cookery yes. or um, you know memoir um something like that. So within nonfiction, there are these subcategories, and they might be divided into imprints. Um, then Avon, which is one of the imprints I work for, we are a very commercial imprint. We focus on selling books through the supermarkets and online. We're very genre-driven. Mm. Um, and then Harper Fiction, there is some crossover with Avon in terms of the content, but the way they publish the books will be slightly different. So they might focus a bit more on Waterstones. Um, they might do hardbacks rather than paperbacks. Um, yeah. And then you know, there's there's also HQ in Harper Collins, which um, publishes fiction and non-fiction. Then there's Um, William Collins which you know publishes more academic side of things there's Fourth Estate and Borough and they publish slightly more literary novels Um, so it's about where the books sit in the market and then within each imprint there'll be a different team of editors who will be be a bit more specialised towards the type of um, books that they're putting out there um does that make sense yes absolutely um,
0: absolutely so it's instead of just finding an overall publisher it's when you find an imprint whose books you enjoy yeah and maybe there'd be some crossover but, yeah there
1: will be yeah. um,
0: but it's finding that and supporting and, mm. and and it's knowing it's not for me it's not just about picking up a book by an author and, and knowing I can trust that author it's mm. knowing that I can trust that publisher that it's going to be a certain quality.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I think we try quite hard to have individual uh, imprint identities, and that's why most imprints will have their own logo. um mm. I mean, for example, Michael Joseph, which is an imprint of Penguin, rebranded the other day and announced a new logo, which you might have seen on the bookseller. Yeah. Little cute, um, mem- what a mermaid! I thought it looked really cute. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so quite often that will be tied up with their brand identity, and you almost want to get to the stage where your imprint is recognisable via the logo on the yeah. spine of the book, and you try and. Attract Attract readers and authors to your imprint rather than just to your publishing house because especially with big names like Harper and Penguin Random House it's quite hard for an author to understand what that publisher's identity is because they're so big and they're so yes. corporate so an imprint can give you that sort of personal touch i think
0: so does a bookshop say waterstones as an example would they only take so much from one imprint as well you know they're not they're not just going to sell avon books for example that you know Mm. they're going to want to demonstrate some independence so does it help again having the different imprints to get great attraction
1: i think it does yeah um so we will have usually a sales representative for each imprint um or a key account manager and they Will specifically go to the retailers and champion our books. So they will go to um, Tesco, for example, and say, This is Avon's Q3 um, priority list. You know, here are the titles, here are the covers, Um, and then the retailer will make their selections. Um, But I don't know actually whether there's a set amount per imprint. That's more, it'd have to be someone in sales would know the answer to that. Um, But I think definitely having that individual identity will help a bit um and it's good for retail to, to see what an imprint is known for and see their successes
0: um, we've heard about the importance previously of book covers thank you very much for, for all that information can we just talk about the hook as well and the importance of that in getting a book out there and, and picked up
1: yeah definitely so the hook is probably one of the most important things that uh, we as editors look for and think about when we're acquiring I think this particularly applies to commercial fiction rather than literary but when we are pitching to retail like I've just been discussing we don't have very long so our key account manager might have an hour slot with the buyer from Sainsbury's and they might have 15 titles to get Mm. through so really realistically the buyer is not going to read all of those books but they are going to judge the books on the cover as we discussed before and the hook the proposition so the stronger that hook and the easier and clearer it is the the more chance we have of getting traction at retail um and then winding back from that it's the same principle that applies when we have our acquisition meetings so when the editor goes to an acquisitions meeting and they are pitching a new novel to marketing and sales and the managing director you know again there's not that long um so they want to be concise and they want to make clear what the hook is um and the hook is so useful when we're talking to people externally so if we're mm-hmm. talking about it on social media it's really pithy you know to have like a little short line that explains the main proposition of the novel um i always try and explain it in um if you ever look at the sunday times charts it will say the title and the author and then it will give like a one yes. line of explaining what the book is about And I think those are almost quite useful in terms of Mm -hmm. trying to learn what a hook is. Um, And then you can also have a look on places like Amazon and you'll quite often see the hook at the top in bold. It might be a question, you know, what would you do if you saw another couple moving into your house? So that's the premise for Our House for Louise Candice, for example. Um, And, you know, it's quite interesting to see how how different publishers use the hook in their marketing yes. um, so, so the main aim of it I suppose is to just intrigue readers and it's to get people to pick up the book or click on the book and find out more and find out what's behind the hook or what's the answer to the hooky question mm. um, so it is something that we, we do think about a lot um, and it's something that I ask editors to put on their vision documents when we're thinking about our vision for acquiring a book we need to fill in a form which says you know this is the hook this is the title I Idea. this is a bit about the author their biography so it kind of falls into one of those categories and we need to make sure that we get it right
0: uh, it's just fascinating all the background there's so much work that goes on and then we just get the book and <laughs> read it and inhale it very quickly and it's always yeah. a shame with all, all that's gone on can we just talk about pre-ordering as well because um, I believe that's very important for authors but as readers we might not necessarily understand how important it is
1: definitely and I think the reason you see so many authors asking readers to pre-order is because they know that it does make a difference but like you say readers don't necessarily know that and I can completely understand why uh, a reader might think oh well I don't need to pre-order I'll just get it on the day it comes out so for us pre-orders are basically a sign that things are going well and that the book is starting to resonate so um, we look at ebook pre-orders and we look at paperback pre-orders hardback pre-orders um, and we try to see whether the adverts that we might be running. So, the marketing campaign might have started a month before and they might be running ads with a specific hook, specific mm-hmm. copy line, um, and they'll be linking people to, to pre order the novel. Um, so, if we're finding that a lot of people are clicking their ad and actually pre ordering and following through with it, we know that what we're doing is working and that they're responding yeah. well to the cover. And so, it's basically a really good early indicator of what might be to come so it might be an early indicator of sales success Um, it also helps on a practical level so if you have a lot of pre-orders for example on your ebook and then you reach pub day the book will automatically be at a higher position in the charts because it will already have those pre-orders. So the more pre-orders you get on Amazon, the higher it goes in the charts. Um, We look at that and think, oh, everything's going really well for this one. Maybe let's put a bit more spend behind it or let's put more resource behind it because it's doing well. Um, And then on the practical side of the paperback, if Waterstones are seeing a lot of people pre-ordering through their site, they might think actually i'm going to place a higher order with the warehouse than i had before um so it's just a it's just an early indicator of potential success um so if anyone's listening to this and they've got friends who are writers then do pre-order their books yes. like it really will make a difference um and you know it's reassuring for the author if they see their book climbing the charts a bit or they hear they've got a good number of pre-orders it just makes you think oh well at least you know I'm past that initial hurdle I haven't got yes. only one my mum reading my book you know I've got yes. slightly <laughs> more people on board already so it's, it's yeah. kind of nice and reassuring in, in that way as well
0: Right. Okay. So we all need to start hitting that yes. pre-order button. Everyone pre-order. Yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. Um, can we just talk briefly about lockdown as well, and how that's affected um, sort of book sales, or maybe I don't know, maybe it's affected the genres that you're covering, or you know, how, what what's the
1: effect been? So obviously it's been a bit of a weird year. Um, we've been working virtually since I think the 13th of March or something hideous like that a long time ago. Um, so yeah, we, all, we are all working at home. We're starting to get back into the office a little bit now. Yeah. So that's been lovely. Um, I think it's been it's been a challenging time, but I actually think that it's been reassuring for publishing because a lot of um, the research that we've done and the kind of stats that have come out shows that we are quite res- resilient as an industry and people do want to read books um uh I can't speak for like individual publishers sales but I think you know we felt quite confident in the fact that our books are continuing to sell um in high volumes for the most part um we have seen a switch to digital in some cases um and I know that we went, when we went into lockdown A lot of the shops were literally closed um, and Sainsbury's, for example, weren't taking any paperbacks at all because they were focusing on food and essential items, which obviously they needed to do. Um, But so we had to pivot a bit in terms of our strategy and think, right, what can we do instead? Mm -hmm. Now that things are evening out a bit, it's become a bit more normal. But there has been a lot of work going on behind the scenes in terms of changing the metadata, changing the pricing, thinking about what we can do for our authors during this difficult time. Um, I think it's very sad that a lot of independent bookshops have been hit quite badly Mm. by this. Um, And I think I'm speaking from a position of privilege, being in a big publisher, because I think small independent publishers will probably have had a much tougher time than Mm. HarperCollins have had. Um, So that's very tough and it's sad. And I hope that you know, the world will find ways to support bookshops where possible because I think they're so, so important. Um, but overall, I don't feel like it's an industry which has been brought to its knees by the pandemic, if that makes sense. Um, in terms of genre, I think, um, I mean, we've still been seeing a lot of crime and thriller selling, which is good for me because it's what I work on. Um, But uh, I think that's because maybe people just really want to escape. And and the thing about crime is that it can be very gripping. So it just totally transports you. Um, And we have also seen a lot of... um, you know in non-fiction there's been a lot of mindfulness books selling people looking for optimism and self-care is doing really well um and then we have seen uplifting fiction um kind of bumping up the charts as well so people are looking for a life to read um as well so when I went on holiday the other the other week I actually started reading a lot of romantic comedies I don't normally re- read them that often um but I just I just felt like I needed to read something that was just going to make me laugh and take me out yeah. for present day. um so it kind of can go both ways Either you want to be really gripped by crime or maybe you just want to forget about it and read something that will just make you laugh um as well i think at the beginning a lot of classic fiction was doing quite nicely so yes. people were turning to like old favorites i started rereading adrian mole for example yes. and people were just turning to very much comfort reads yes. I would call comfort reads um and it's interesting you know and i think the thing is we're still so much in the middle of it, it it'll be really interesting to see how this pans out over like the next six months and whether whether we see new genres emerge um I mean we're publishing a book called Love in Lockdown which is about a couple who oh. meet during the um coronavirus crisis um and they talk to each other on their balconies but they can't actually meet in real oh, life yeah. um so we're doing that and then I've seen that other publishers are doing similar and people are doing crime novels I think Peter James or Peter May I yes. had um, yeah. one that did really yeah. well um but yeah and, it, and I've had a lot of authors email me saying oh should I put virus in Mm. my book if i'm setting it in 2020 should i acknowledge it so my personal take on that has been no because i don't really feel like i want to read about it and i think also it's really damaging to a plot you know it's kind of boring if the characters can't go anywhere unless that's the usp um so i've sort of said i think it's fine to just act as if 2020 has been normal because ultimately readers do want to read about life as we hope it will become again very much yeah um and it's so okay yeah. to have
0: the choice to read a book about lockdown,
1: but not yeah. everyone would choose that, particularly the exactly. harrowing side of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So um
0: you mentioned the Love in Lockdown, which is a very interesting one. Uh, what what books have, have you got coming up that you that you could talk to us about? Is there anything I've got uh, my pencil? Off.
1: we've got love in lockdown um by an author called chloe james which my colleague is publishing um i can't actually remember the pub day now but it's in the next few months um i am publishing one called girl a by abigail dean which is coming out in january so still a little way off um but i'm super excited about that it is phenomenal she's an incredible writer um so if anyone's looking for a new read for january then you can reorder um what else have we got coming up? We've got a lot. So I'm publishing the new um, novel by C.L. Taylor, in October, oh. which is the paperback of Strangers. So we yeah. had The hardback back out in April, so right in the middle of lockdown. Um, and it actually went, it went really well, but I'm obviously really glad that now we can put the paperback out into a slightly easier environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exciting as well. Um, and then as I mentioned before, we've got one called The Chalet, which is a murder mystery set in the French Alps on the ski slopes, um, which is coming out in November. Um, so I'm excited about all of those. Um, But yeah, we're just kind of cracking on. We're we're publishing um, as much as we can. Um, We're acquiring in the same way that we were pre-lockdown. I think there were kind of a few scare stories going around saying editors weren't acquiring and that sort of thing, which was kind of nonsense, I thought. (laughs) Um, We continue to acquire throughout lockdown. um, And yeah, we'll be continuing to do so. We'll be continuing to put as many books out as we can
0: brilliant that that's really positive now just before you, you go we should mention the babysitter i know i've mentioned it before on the podcast and uh, raved about it but uh, this is your latest book and um, if someone hasn't read it and is into sort of suspense thrillers uh, with uh, sort of psychological twists i mean it's it's extraordinary Have, is there another book coming up as well
1: yeah, so um, thank you. The Babysitter is out now. It also came out in the so It came out 28th of March, uh, May, 28th of May. Um, so it was, you know, it was kind of sad having a pick out in the pandemic. you yes. couldn't go out or anything, but um, the publisher were amazing. And, it, you know, I've still been really pleased by the reception it's had. Um, it's a thriller. It's set between France and Suffolk, which is where I grew up. Um, So that's out now. Um, And then my fourth book is going to come out in April next year. Um, So that one is about four friends who go on a safari trip to South Africa um, for one of their friends' birthdays, and they haven't spoken as a friendship group for the last two years. So it's about why they're going on this trip, um, who invited them, and why they haven't spoken. Um, so that has got a title, but I don't think I'm allowed to say it yet. Um, don't. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it'll be out in April. Hopefully, I'll be able to reveal the title and the cover soon. I just saw some cover cover visuals, um, which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, watch this space, I suppose.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that's lots of books on the on the list to look out for. Phoebe, thank you so very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, wow, that was. I just thought that was fascinating. There's so much more involved than you than you think. You, you know, you just imagine that uh, a book comes along to them and they just take it and start printing it. But no, if it can be up to a couple of years from when they get the book to when it's published at times, oh, it's extraordinary. And hearing about the role of a hook, um, not just in deciding how they're going to market a book, but then marketing it on to different organizations, different supermarkets. Yeah, I just think it's fascinating and really grateful to Phoebe for spending her time uh, with us because uh, she's a busy woman and a very important woman. So it was great to to have her on. Uh, Right. We just need to do a bit of a recap, I think, on all the lovely books we've talked about this week. Um, So we had His and Hers by Alice Feeney. I love that book. Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. Love that book. Which other ones have we got? We've had The Final Cut by S.J. Watson. Plan for the Worst by Jodie Taylor. Uh, Silver Sparrow by Tiare Jones. Oh, my goodness. That book is incredible. Um, Fearless, Alan Stroud. Down the Line by, by Pam Something different just I think whatever your reading style is, whatever your reading pleasure, hopefully there's been something there for you today. And you will expect me to say this, but my goodness, have I got some great books to talk to you about next week. So I really can't wait to talk to you again about those. And in the meantime, just look after yourselves and I'll speak to you again soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one ever.